at some point in our faith, God will bring about circumstances in which we value Him more than what He gives us. And until we do that, we're just babies. We're just kind of babies that our daddy does everything for us. But God wants us to grow up into adults that can sit down over a wine or a whiskey and say, Dad, here's my day. And he can give us his wisdom and he can invite, invite us into the complexity of life. And to do that, we have to move beyond the jackpot God. Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I am so glad that you are here. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Follower Podcast. Uh, If you're with us in the series Into the Deep, uh, we've been talking a lot about how pain and disappointment can be a gateway into a deeper friendship with God. And um, I've got a great guest uh, on the podcast today. I'm very excited about it. Uh, It was a little shot in the dark. I just took a try, thanks to Instagram for connecting people across the planet. And uh, instead of me introducing him, I thought maybe he could introduce the podcast today. And I'm sure those of you who know his work will recognize who it is as soon as uh, you hear this next little bit. Yes, well, kia ora, friends. Uh, it's Sean and Matt from Follower Podcast. It's great to be with you all today. <laughs> I'm coming to you from Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, brother. Oh man, that that kia man. It's uh, I love that so much. <laughs> Every time I listen to to commoners, I I hear that kia yeah. It's like I don't. I'm not even really from New Zealand, but it's just so heartwarming, yeah. man. I feel like I'm being invited home or something. It's so good. Oh, that's so good, man. Even I, even now, when I sit down to to introduce an episode, you know, I almost feel like it overcomes me, and I'm like, Kilda, this is Strawn from Communist <laughs> Community. I'm a writer and musician from Aotearoa, New Zealand, and it almost just yeah. comes out as very, very strange. <laughs> oh, well, it's so good. It's so good. And Strawn, it's so good to have you on on the Follow Up Podcast, man. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, man. It's a real pleasure to be here um, with you, brother, and uh, talking about life and God and everything in between. Yeah. And for those of you who maybe aren't familiar, uh, Strawn uh, is a musician, and we'll get to know a little bit about that now, but he's also really leading a ministry. Uh, He'll describe it and tell us a little bit more about it called Commoners Communion. You may have seen it on Instagram and pretty much everywhere else, and uh, really helping people pray, building this house of prayer that's not so much a building, but a people. And uh, it's just been such an encouragement to me. And so I'm really, really excited just to have Strawn on on the podcast today. Uh, Strawn, I thought it would be good just to get a little bit of your story. Could you tell us a little bit about your life growing up in New Zealand? Give us some highlights. Give us a sense of who you are for people who who aren't sure who who Strawn Coleman is. Yeah, well, um, I grew up in a in a beach town in the, in the largest city of New Zealand uh, in Auckland City. It's sort of beach town, beach suburbia, really. And it was known as kind of little South Africa. Amazingly, it was sort of one of the places with a massive South African um, community. And we used to have a South African festival and lots of South African shops. And most of my friends were South African growing up. And so it's sort of that's a thing. Uh, but it was a beautiful little town right beside a beach. I spent my entire upbringing sort of um, 
biking down there, eating ice creams and just living a kind of suburban life, which suburbia, suburbia is a funny thing. It's not really the Watts and it's not the urban centre. It's kind of there wasn't a lot of art in Browns Bay where I grew up. Um, there were lots of different cultures, which I loved and really kind of grew my experience of life. But I think for me growing up, I always had this real longing for adventure, for other worlds, for other places. Um, I kind of wanted to get out of that sort of middle of the road um, suburban life. And so as I kind of grew older, I really just invested tons into music. And, and I used to just started writing songs when I was seven or eight years old. And I just kept going, playing bands. And I dreamt of traveling out of suburban Browns Bay into the sort of metropolises of the world, metropoli, metropolises, I'm not quite sure what the plural is. <laughs> um, and, yeah, kind of lived my life really in, in music and the arts. I uh, I met my wife when I was 11 and uh, we were ballroom and Latin American dancers. We were partners and uh, I sort of danced my way through my early teens before becoming a sort of heavy rock, new metal front, front man for a band um, and then kind of off I went from there. But, yeah, so my, my upbringing, I, I, I want to say it feels like a really normal upbringing, you know. It's just a suburban kid in a suburban neighbourhood by the beach um, with a really deep longing for an adventurous life. And I'm not sure if that was just something I was born with or something that the sort of environment bestowed upon me. Um, but it was kind of, I mean, my my father was a an insurance salesman and an entrepreneur and I think that that entrepreneurial desire to kind of go into little quirks and spaces that no one's in yet and make something flourish was really kind of part of my family history and, and really passed on to me too and I think those those things have collided in my life to sort of lead me to where I am now as a as an adult. Mm. And I think one of the things I appreciate about you, Storm, at least from a distance, is that you're a kind of person who's a bit hard to peg down. Like you're, you seem to be like this collision of elements, you know. And even in your yeah. story, there, I mean, we can see it. You, you're like this musician. Then you're like hard rock guy and Latina dancer. <laughs> it's like, what, no, it's, you know, what box does that fit in? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny you say that, man. No one's ever actually said that to my face, but I do I do find that when I spend time with people, I tend to sort of upset their equilibrium a little bit because I um I am a strange mix of things. And I think I think because um I'm not sure why. I think because I'm I'm really experience-oriented. I love experiencing life. I think that's been true of my faith. I love experiencing faith. And I, I've never really seen um, boundaries very strongly when it comes to, you know, definitions of what I can and can't do. And and I think maybe that's that entrepreneurial spirit that comes from my father. My grandfather um, is a gold, created a gold and silver refining business in New Zealand, and he was a pioneer. He was a kind of a mad scientist. His name was Bruce, which is awesome. Bruce Coleman. He was this kind <laughs> of mad scientist. And he was one of the first people to create an environmentally friendly distillation process, refining process for gold in, in New Zealand and in the entire Aust Aust Australasian region. And I, I think that kind of not wanting to fit into a box and to, to want to go where people say I can't go or we can't go is really part of our, our DNA as a family. And I think that that's kind of meant that I am a little bit of a weird one to try and pin down, strangely. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, I mean, you can see that even a little bit of your story you shared with me, even in your church experience. I mean, you come from like vast church backgrounds, you know, the way I kind of, uh, the picture I have of the church is that it's like this really long table and Jesus is preparing this meal for us. And, you know, up at the front, you got like all the Catholics and then down at the back, you got like all the Baptists. Everybody's at the table, you know what I mean? Um, And when I listen to a little bit of your experience, you have a lot of that, even in your growing up, it's, could you speak a little mm. bit to that? What it was like to grow up in so many kind of different Christian expressions? Yeah. Um, again, I, I think probably just due to the value of experience distilled in my life. When I was growing up, my mother was was probably more Eastern uh, in her in her spirituality before she kind of had a, a big sort of conversion process of coming to God. And she was always just saying to me, Strawn, God is everywhere. God is in everything. And this was kind of her language. And, and I remember my earliest memories of talking about God were that. Uh, but we actually, our first church was a Presbyterian church, a very, you know, very conservative, traditional Presbyterian church um, that we were at for a couple of years where I really learned Sunday school things. Uh, it wasn't until I was 12 we, we moved to a Baptist church where, you know, the preacher wore a leather jacket and he was kind of a, you know, it was just that. It was like, whoa. And they, they had a sports team. And I remember that being like, a church with a sports team, that is radical. I mean, it's laughable now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. churches are yeah. anything these days. But back then, a church with a sports team, that was that was pioneering stuff. Um, and I, I belonged to that sort of Baptist church for from when I was about 12 to 21 or something. So that was the longest community and that was really I was a leader there I was very ingrained and yet when I became a young adult I moved in with a Pentecostal um I grew up Pentecostal pastors and leaders and things and that was really that was around the time that Bethel was kind of growing you know that I don't know if you've heard that you know from heaven to earth Bill Johnson teaching but back then we used to pass it around like CDs in our jackets kind of like cocaine for Christians, you know, <laughs> don't um, let anybody know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that really, that really transformed my life. And I think it was around that time. I never went to a Pentecostal church, but I was hugely impacted by the deep desire to see God's kingdom come in the world. And so from there, so it's 10 years of Baptist church from there, we went to a, a church in New Zealand that was really an emerging church. Um, if, if you kind of know that language or emergent, which is very exploratory. Um, they were really trying new things, re- really trying to reach back into ancient future faith, um, but also a very prophetic community in terms of the spiritual gifting. And so lots of de- demonstrations of the spiritual gifts. Um, and I think that prophetic nature kind of pulled it towards a very extreme liberal end where it kind of, it started to quite unravel in quite a massive way. And so it was my sort of first experience of what happens if the, if you if you deconstruct without any boundaries or guidelines where that leads and what kind of what kind of community is formed and shaped out of that? Um, and that was a that that was a transformative experience for me. And I kind of felt like the church sort of almost fell underneath my feet. I was you know with my wife and I were very happy to be there, but it very much kind of fell apart. And um, so out of that space, we actually moved into more home church environments where. I did a lot of ministry in intercessory prayer groups and prophetic prayer groups. And we started like a regular house gathering kind of thing with some friends. Um, And in that time, that's when I started to travel a lot with music. And so actually I was really just touring overseas a lot and we were kind of um, really more missionaries. 
Um, out of that, we came back. So this is sort of another five or six years on from there. We come back, join a vineyard church where I became a sort of on staff there, essentially as a pastor, curating prayer for people in a church plant. That was a beautiful and amazing church that I loved deeply. And um, we were there for about four or five years before we actually moved out of town to this beach town where we live now. And so yeah, so and now I go to this Anglican parish with like 40 <laughs> over 70 year olds, and it is like high yeah. Anglican, and I'm talking like all the robes, the full liturgy, the whole thing. And to them, yeah. I must just seem like a total nut job. So I kind of feel like I've gone from very conservative Presbyterian, the whole charismatic arc through missionaries, all that stuff, and I've landed in an Anglican parish by accident. Uh, so I mean, you think I confuse you, you just I mean, these poor folks down here are just I'm an enigma to have no idea what to do with me. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that is a that is a broad church experience. Um, but we've never for me, I, none of those moves have come out of impatience, anger, or um or out of a sense of uh needing they've always been places that God has led and moved us. Um, except for maybe that sort of church that combusted and deconstruction. That was an angsty time, uh, a disappointing time. But all of those shifts have been very supported by those around us and been very kind of spirit-led and rather than a, a, a constant shifting, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, such a kindred spirit in that sense, man. I uh, My church is almost very similar. I grew up in an Anglican church. And uh, I was an altar boy. I had the Batman robes and everything. And I did all the incense and all the stuff. And then uh, became a youth pastor in a Methodist church. And then worked for a scripture union, which is like uh, this kind of interdenominational experience. So I worked with pretty much everything in in between. And then after that, I was a church planter with the Assemblies of God. And uh, then after that, I worked. I know, right? (laughs) Then after that, I was like with all kinds of different people. And now I'm serving with YWAM in different ways, you know. So uh, I completely understand what you're saying. This this is like this broad spectrum. And I think what's been really helpful to me, a book by Richard Foster, uh, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Streams of Living Water, where he talks about all the different expressions of church Mm -hmm. and how really these things are not competitive but the best expression mm. is when the best of us all comes together. And so I'm really mm. grateful because I feel like, uh, and I think, you know, with, with your touring as well, you might be able to relate to this. It's not only that I have different expressions of church within denominational sense, but also being mm. able to go to different countries and see different cultures and view Jesus yeah. through the lens of of that. That's also been really, really helpful. And I think just broadened mm. my horizon around those things. Would you relate to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. It's a gift. I mean, it's like you, it's like culture, right? You can't, we can't pretend that we can just take bits and pieces from every culture and then authentically make something new up. You know, a culture is a culture and we need to respect that, but we can definitely learn from and be impacted and have our story and our essence transformed by those cultures as we engage with them. Um, and I think that, I think that, I think if your fundamental kingdom culture is I love and want the absolute most of God that I can find on this earth and squeeze every ounce out of heaven until the day I die, then all the different cultures and traditions of the church have so much to offer and and to kind of layer that and and give to it. Um, And in that sense, I think we are just wanderers, you know, in, in lots of ways, just seeking God's face everywhere we can go. And I 
I, so I, I totally relate to your to your story, and I think um, the challenge is to stay earthed and rooted. You know, I think especially for my generation, especially for an artist like myself. You know, um, by nature, artists, you know, and fairly folk can be. You know, we can move a lot, and the challenge is to be yeah. rooted. But I, I think that the other extreme of 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 being unrooted is to to be rooted at any cost. You know, even if God's calling you to move or to be somewhere else. So. Um, and that's kind of really been my wife and my journey. We've just God has often sent us to places as kind of kingdom missionaries, and then He moves us on. Um, mm. Yeah, which has been a beautiful gift to our lives. Yeah. Good. It's a good good thought on on the rootedness. I think that's culturally necessary, and I need that. So <laughs> I'll take oh, okay. note. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in in this journey, Strawn, you you speak about uh, being diagnosed with this chronic illness, um, and how this changed everything for you. Uh, could you speak a little bit into that? What that journey's been like for you? Oh man, um, books could be written <laughs> about just the short journey relatively i mean i've been i've had this sort of chronic sickness journey now for really seven or eight years but for really from my early 20s that i can remember um i think what it did for me you know by by the time it got to about 2015 i'd been doing a lot of travel and when katie and i traveled we traveled quite um in a unique way so we would literally just kind of pray God might say, go to Germany. And we would just say, okay. And then we'd book a tour and then just trust that somehow we would go. I mean, that's German trip we did three months in Europe. We left New Zealand with $100, literally only $100 and nowhere to stay the next night when we landed in LA. Um, and we did three three months with a one and a half year old completely without money. Just We would just stay, you know, we'd meet someone in the morning and they'd stay at our house tonight. We'd be like, thank you. Um, And and we lived this life and there was lots of amazing things going on. We had tons of miraculous stories, you know, miraculous stories were a daily event for us of dreams or visions or things that God did or money that he provided miraculously. And then uh, one day, not only did all that provision end and and things, my body just broke. And so that the story of my Sickness is really the story of moving from an abundance of provision and story and excitement and adventure to a grinding, hitting a wall and not just being unwell, but God not answering prayers and God not providing suddenly not having enough money for rent or not being able to pay the bills or not being able to buy a soccer ball for our son for Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And so I think the biggest change for me in that space was God had to change from being the God who gives me the things I need to do the work I feel called to do. If that makes sense. I think I had this image in my mind of God, you've called me to be a missionary. And so uh, I'm going to do the work and you're going to provide. And that's our partnership. I do the mahi, as we say in New Zealand, and we'll do the work. God, you do the you do the the provision, and then He stopped providing. And I had to reorient my whole life around how do I say that God is good? How do I say that God is loving and kind? 
how do I preach the gospel to myself? I've been preaching to other people when for year after year, God doesn't heal me. He doesn't financially provide. I mean, my friends and stuff were saying to me, you have a curse. You've been cursed. Like people were praying against curses in my life because of the kinds of things. I mean, people were like your Job, basically, because it wasn't just the sickness. It was just unbelievable things would happen to us. And so I think what my sickness did was it made me have to come to the place of saying, against everything that I feel I'm experiencing when I look at my life, I believe you're good and I love you. I want you. And I had to move from a working relationship with God that was based on the things we did together in the world to a relationship that was like, how do I know God when I'm just sitting at basically staring at a ceiling for 16 hours a day? Uh, when I've got nothing to offer my wife and kids, nothing to offer the world or the church, um, and not just for a day or a week, but for months and years. And so my, my life transformed from a very active life to a very passive one, and God became, God became my jewel. He, he had to be so beautiful and so amazing that he made meaning out of my suffering. Uh, just by existing and that sort of transformation has been taking place in my life for seven years now um if you go back to kind of the height of when this is all happening i mean you know we'll get on to i guess maybe hindsight now but i'm always aware that there's there's people listening to this and maybe when you talk about your experience that's where they find themselves they're there you know Mm -hmm. if you go back Mm -hmm. to that moment i mean what did it feel like in that moment you you believe in god there's this god who undeniably has done all this miraculous stuff in your life but here Mm -hmm. you are uh what's going on in straw in that in that moment what does the question look like what's the weight of it you know Man, I mean, the words that come to mind for that season were despair, anguish, anger, rejection, um, disappointments. I I mean, there were days when I would be having multiple panic attacks, just I'm never going to, you know, I mean, at this point, my kids are coming up to me during the day saying, Daddy, can you come play with me? And I'm saying, no, I can't. I can't get out of bed. And this is going on day after day. And so I'm, I'm having panic attacks and I'm just, I just have vitriol at God. I'm just letting him have it. I'm just basically, God, you have abandoned me. Like, where are you? You say you love me. You say you've called me to do these things. And I think that I think that this is a thing that happens in our faith, and it must happen. For me, it happens. What was going on for me at that point was not only was they having a physical crisis, but I was having a vocational crisis, an identity crisis, because I was in my mid to late 20s and I couldn't provide for my wife or play with my kids. I, I felt like I wasn't a man. You know, was the, the, the things that I believed that, that I was to do for my family, I was unable to do. So it was, a, it was a crisis of identity, a crisis of health. It was a financial crisis, a career voc- crisis, because I, I couldn't sing at the time. But it was a spiritual crisis too. And all of those things were cutting at the very core of my being and I was faced with having to accept God as love or walk away and it was incredibly painful and I would love to say that it was only painful for a day or two 
but it was years of anguish, years of fighting and crying out to God and thinking there was something wrong with me that maybe I'd sinned or, you know, like, was there something I'd done? Like, what, what, what do you, just tell me what you're angry about dad and I'll fix it, you know? And so I, I had to, in that space, try and figure out how to worship a God who deeply offended me. And that, that caused a lot of tension and malfunction in me emotionally, spiritually, and physically for some time until eventually I just submitted and said, you know what, God, um, you know, there's this saying where Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood in the New Testament. Unless you do that, you can't be my disciples. And many walk away and Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? And they just say this amazing thing. Um, Lord, where would we go? Do you have the words of eternal life? And I think what I had to do in my life was move through the offense to a point where I could say, yes, all of this. And for some reason, you refuse to say anything about it. But God, where else would I go? You, you're my father. You have the words of eternal life. And honestly, man, I mean, last year, I was more sick last year than I was then. And again, I had to move through days and weeks and months of tears coming back to that same point. And so when I when I think about my sickness, I don't look back five or six years and say, oh, wasn't it great that I got through that? I look at seven years of constantly coming back to the cross of Christ and saying, I'm willing to hang there in this sickness if it means that I'm resurrecting in my in my savior, and to constantly make those decisions over and over again. And so hindsight is interesting because yeah, I look back and in some ways I wish I could just say, I, I learned that lesson and it's stuck forever. But actually, I've been learning that lesson every day for seven years, and it still wears on me. It's still incredibly hard. Um, but I, I think what I've come to terms with is the fact that that's the journey. That's not the middle of the journey. Um, that reckoning with suffering is the Christian life. And for me, it's chronic mm -hmm. sickness. For another, it's grief. It's family. It could be much worse, you know. Um, for me, it's sickness. But all of us, we have a suffering. It might be church, spiritual abuse. It might be disappointment. It might be the loss of a child or a loved one. It might be singleness. It might be a vocation breakdown. But all of us will at some point have to confront that question, will I say God is good anyway? And until we say we can say that, we're still in the very, very, we're still only being invited to discipleship. Once we say that, we're kind of saying, yeah, I'm I'm in this. It's gonna it's gonna hurt, but I'm in this. I'm I'm walking with my jet. Where else would I go? He has the words of eternal life. I'm just chewing on that. It's really good. It's really helpful. Um, what What would you say to the person who, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your story. You say something really cool. You said you've got the same Pentecostal roots, but now planted in the rich history of the Christian tradition, you know, because you kind of found yeah. your home with the mystics in this journey. Um, yeah. When you describe your friendship with Jesus, there's so much um, 
uh, almost paradox. I want to use the word he's master and he's home, but he's also mystery. He's inspiration, but he's also confrontation. There seems to be these juxtapositions in your friendship with God. And so um, you seem to have come through this journey of suffering. The place you've landed is, is rich. And just to encourage you, man, even as I speak to you, it's just, you just carry so much joy in God. There's just so much joy and there's so much peace about you, which is such an evident fruit of the spirit. So even though you're still wrestling with it, God's work in your life is evident even through a Zoom call. <laughs> uh, so I guess, what do you say to the person who would hear all this and say, no man, but we got to have faith for the healing or the breakthrough. We got to trust. Yeah. How, how do you hold those things in tension with, I yeah. guess, how you've, how you've come to see God through this journey? Yeah. I mean, the question of healing haunts me, you know. I mean, to give it a good example, pretty much what's going on in my body right now was happening to my wife when we first got married. She was sick with stomach issues and that the doctors couldn't fix. It was debilitating. And we took her to Benny Hinn meetings. I mean, we took her to everything, you know. And no, she wasn't getting healed. And our Pentecostal friend said, it's because you don't have enough faith, which almost destroyed her faith because she was like, what are you talking about? I'm crying every night. I'm praying out to God. We're doing all the things. And yet my faith isn't enough. Well, what do I do? And we went along this church, this emerging church I told you about earlier. We went along. A friend of mine said, hey, this guy, he's quite insightful, which was an understatement. We went along. He said, my wife's sick. He said, okay. He looked at her and for 10 minutes, he described her entire life from her upbringing to her father, to her mother, personality, what was going on, prophesied her entire life. By the end of it, never prayed a word. She was healed on the spot. That wow. day on the way home, we went home and had a, a meal that she hadn't been able to eat in years. To this day, it is now 16 years later. She's never once had a single symptom from that, just like that. So this is my wife, right? And here I am saying, God, uh, you know what? It was great that time. You just, instant. I'm right here. And so wow. what do you do with that? What do you do when God heals the person beside you at church uh, and he doesn't heal you? And what do you do with the gospel when you look at Jesus? I mean, here's the reality. The Jesus that I'm praying to in my life isn't a different Jesus to the gospels. He is the very same Jesus who healed absolutely everybody who came to him. When people cried out to him and touched him and reached for him, he healed them. And so where I've come to with my heart to keep my heart safe, and I'm not saying that I do this well, I think the greatest challenge in my life is not to lose faith, is to not stop, is to keep believing that God heals and does things. That's going to be my challenge because of my journey. But theologically, I look at the Jesus who says, go out into all the world, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. And I say, okay, my Jesus heals. And he commands to heal. And I read in the New Testament, them saying, if someone's sick, gather the elders, anoint them with oil, confess their sins, and they will be healed. I have to believe that. But on the other hand, I also see a gospel where people are imprisoned uh, and churches fall apart and false prophets and false prophets uh, apostles enter and things is things are messy and not every prayer is answered um i see confusion and and disappointment there and i have to hold these two things in tension so i kind of think of that story in daniel you know where the three are put into the fire 
And they say to the king Nebuchadnezzar, they say, our God can save us, uh, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship your God. And I, in my heart, I've, I've learned to say, my God will heal me. My God can heal me. That's who my God is. He's a healer. But even if he doesn't, I will love and worship him for life I have uh, because he's also the God that says, pick up your cross and follow me. And if anyone thinks that that's some kind of cute invitation to like, oh, man, I, I have to like not earn as much money or something like that, which is which is which is hard too. Uh, but remember, the cross is a sign of murder and painful, bloodthirsty crucifixion and death. Like it's right. torture. He's saying anyone who wants to follow me, pick up your torture and follow me. Uh, and for me, my ongoing thorn, my ongoing torture is my sickness. And so I can say, today God is asking me to pick up my cross. Tomorrow he may heal me. I'll seek him for healing, but I'll live. I'll live as he's good regardless, if that makes sense. I think um, sometimes I forget that God is a living person. And so then sometimes I just try and oversimplify him into like doctrinal statements or theological boxes. <laughs> it's like God, God fits here, God does that, you know. But I think yeah. what you're describing is what we should expect if God is actually a person. Uh, yeah. You know, he's as complex as any person and more so, you know. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge. I think the challenge is to treat God like a person. And we don't. We genuinely don't. We say we do. Oh, God is a person. He's wonderful. But what we're really imagining is that God is a set of laws. He's a God is a machine that when we just get the levers right, if we just pray the right prayer, if we command or declare or do the right thing, we pull that lever, God gives us, we get the jackpot. And we don't we don't talk like that, but our th- we imbibe it in our theology. Um, and it's not that God doesn't. I mean, God says, "Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be answered." There, there is, in some sense, in the New Testament and Jesus' teaching, we read some sense of formula. Uh, but then Jesus smashes that as well. I mean, he just doesn't turn up when Lazarus is sick. He lets the guy die. Now, did they ask and receive? Knock and the open and yes. Did Lazarus die a painful death first? Yes. Were they offended and disappointed at Jesus' absence? Yes. What do we do with that? Why did he do that? There must have been a better way to make that point, Jesus. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so there, there is a sense in which these scriptures are absolutely right, and I wholeheartedly believe them. But if, they, if, they're, if they're a rule book, um, then they don't appear to work. If they're a person, then there's complexity and nuance. And at some point, and this is what St. John of the Cross was was profound for, St. Teresa of Avila, a lot of the 14th century mystics were trying to say, at some point in our faith, God will bring about circumstances in which we value him more than what he gives us. And until we do that, we're just babies. We're just kind of babies that our daddy does everything for us. But God wants us to grow up into adults that can sit down over a wine or a whiskey and say, Dad, here's my day. And he can give us his wisdom and he can invite invite us into the complexity of life. And to do that, we have to move beyond the jackpot God, the genie in the bottle God that just just answers our prayers because we got the prayer combo right or we fasted enough or we did, you know, and I think the danger of the charismatic world to me 
is is that surface level theology that says, well, this just has to be it. We just have to push, 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 push until we get it, um, which sometimes is wonderful and oftentimes is. There just needs to be another layer that says, but there are also times when God is doing another thing. And that other thing is inviting us into maturity and depth and love and joy. It's a different kind of miracle. And we just have to keep an eye out for that too. Because if we don't, we accidentally marginalize the sick, the poor in spirit, the depressed, the lonely, the anxious, those who can't overcome in the charismatic time frame that we have because of these scriptures we incorporate. Um, and we actually, we push them to the, to the edge of the community. And I know what that feels like because that has happened to me plenty with people who don't, who, who know, say, we just got to pray for healing. And then it doesn't happen. And I'm like, and then they say, well, I guess we just got to keep praying, but they can offer no essential life to me outside of that. And I, I think that for me, sorry, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but I'm passionate that's about fantastic. this. Fantastic. No, keep going. I feel like so for good. me, that's where orthodoxy and Pentecostalism meet, you know, because I don't have any beef with charismatic, I don't have any beef with any denomination. Um, I do have a passion to see the charismatic Pentecostal realm deepen. And the way that I think one of the areas we can build an orthodox Pentecostalism is by listening to what the church has to say about stages and experiences of faith that don't fit our neat boxes. One of those is deconstruction or what the mystics call, you know, cognitive dissonance or offense or in the language of the, the church, the wall, you know, uh, seeing deconstruction not as something brought about necessarily by cultural circumstance, but as an invitation from God to let go of some stuff. Uh, and another one of those, the dark night of the soul when miracles just cease or sickness. And, and I think that joining these things two together, being able to say, seek and you will find, we 100% believe that. And also to be able to say, and sometimes God removes the answers so that we can grow in love and to be able to hold those two things in tension really, really well. It's not easy. <laughs> it has to be lived. At a theological level, it makes no sense. But at a lived level, I think all of us can feel that as we grow. I think all of us can say amen to that in some way, shape or form. So, um, it's so good. So the person who's listening to this, uh, is going, okay, I, I hear you strong. Um, COVID's happened. Uh, I've lost my job. Um, yeah. trying to pay the bills. Can't make that happen. Uh, I hear this. I hear this. Uh, and, and maybe even as you're listening to this, something is stirring in the, in the deep, uh, in you. And something resonates. It's it's like a tuning fork. What Strawn is saying is resonating somewhere deep inside of you. Um, what? How would you encourage this person to take this journey? You know, so here they are, empty nets, tired on the side of the beach, uh, caught nothing. I mean, maybe the reason they've caught nothing is because inadvertently, without knowing it, they've been spending a lot of time in the shallows that have been constructed for mm. them by a certain way of relating to God. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now there is this invitation from the master go out into the deep. Um, you mm -hmm. talk about this idea of how suffering or the loss of a dream or this pain mm -hmm. wasn't a, a doorway into deeper friendship with God for you. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you can paint a picture 
of that deeper friendship? What does that look like? Almost as a way to encourage the weary soul uh, to take mm. the journey, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, firstly, if you're listening and, and that's you, man, in all seriousness, my heart breaks for you and my heart goes out for you because I know what it's like to be to lose things and for there to be no easy answers and for things not to be clear and God knows and he sees you and he loves you and you're not alone. I think that's the first thing we need to be. You're not alone. It's not, this is not an aberration to faith. This is the faith. This is what it feels like to have faith. Faith is literally hoping for what is not seen or touched or known. And that's really quaint until you're actually in that space. And then faith is horrible. <laughs> faith is the last thing you want. So firstly, you're not alone. Um, you're lived you are living an experience that the saints for, for thousands of years have lived and God is with you. Um, in terms of how do we how do we live in that space? I think for me, what I've learned to do is to look at something that is grieving me, hurting me, restricting me, making me despair, and to ask the question, what opportunity does this present me? What is the God opportunity here? So, um, for example, when COVID first hit New Zealand, we went into a six-week strict lockdown um, I'd spent six years trying to build a life for my family. We'd lived off basically 10, 20,000 bucks a year for like six years. I don't even know how we survived. The year that COVID hit, I had, and in every weekend I was booked to lead retreats, preach at conferences, whatever, you name it. And then overnight it was gone, just gone. And I was in despair. Seven years of hard work done in a, in a day, and I knew it wasn't coming. I knew it would be years, but those things over. And after about a week of being angry and crying and just saying to God, what's the deal with you? You've always ripped my life apart, mother. I woke up one morning and I said, what's the opportunity that God is affording me here? What is, if this was actually God, if this was a positive thing, what is, what might be the invitation of heaven? And I thought, well, everyone's at home. No one's at work. Maybe it's the perfect time to do a course on prayer and to just get gather people together to start talking about prayer. And so I did. I started a course, taken over 450 people through it. It's been one of the most meaningful work things I've ever done in my life. When I started getting sick physically, I asked God the question, what opportunity does my illness present? What can I possibly do? I can't travel. I can't do anything. And I felt God say to me, Strawn, I'm going to help you love sick, the sick. I'm going to help not just the sick physically, but what, what he said to me, the poor in spirit. Um, and I looked at the Beatitudes and I read them, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who, um, who go hungry, blessed are those. What, what Jesus is saying to you, friend, as you're listening without a job, without whatever you're going through, Jesus is saying you are not blessed despite those things. You are blessed because of those things. You are blessed precisely because you are depressed, precisely because you've lost, lost a loved one, precisely because you've lost a job or whatever, there is in some mystical way a unique experience that you are going to have of God in this moment of your life precisely because of your suffering. That's the promise of Jesus. This is who the kingdom is for. And I think we've become so used to a gospel that says if we just believe enough, if we do the right things, God's spirit will visit that momentum and we'll be off. We haven't preached a gospel of 
Are you low, downtrodden, left behind, broken, depressed, anxious, familyless, childless, wifeless, husbandless, whatever? If that's you, you are blessed. You've inherited the kingdom. And so my question is, how do we sit down before God and say, how does that happen now, Father? I genuinely believe that because I'm sick, I'm receiving things from God that I wouldn't have if I wasn't sick. If I wasn't sick, I would have got other things. And that's wonderful. It's not like it's some kind of like only sick people get God. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that God fills up in grace in my life what is lacking through the increase of suffering. And the question for us is when we've lost something or when we're grieving in the middle of this pandemic, God, what opportunity are you presenting me here? And how do I step into that in love? That's not just about what we do. It's about who we are. Um, because my sickness has made me more, way more patient, kind. And I mean, I was impetuous, prideful, and I had no time for people before I was sick. Uh, this has really taught, taught me empathy in a way I never could. That's an, that's an opportunity. So I, I think when we can, we can take our suffering, if the cross was the doorway to resurrection, right? It was only through the crucifixion that we get the entire kingdom of God in, in victory, then we can look at every suffering we have and say, this is a doorway to resurrection. The question is, how do I hang on that cross submissively, not fighting it, but fully submitting in my suffering to Christ and his purpose so that it may fully raise again on this other side of this? And that's, that's a difficult question to answer. It can't be answered for you. It's a question we have to answer ourselves. How do I die on this cross? The most painful, true, vulnerable, honest, and tender death that I can so that I can resurrect in the greatest power and authority with Christ. Um, if you can get to even asking that question, I think you're getting further than many of us do. Um, but on the other side of that, I, I truly believe there's eternal life here now, the kingdom of heaven for those of us who we're broken. And the thing I really want to highlight here, if you're listening to, to Strawn and, uh, you know, feel free to, to feed back into the Strawn as well, is like, there's a difference between what you're describing and positive thinking. <laughs> this is this is not like positive thinking. You know what I mean? This is not like find the angle or like five steps to your better life or whatever the thing is. This is not that. It's um, yeah. a deep conviction that the whole universe is rigged for resurrection, <laughs> like the whole thing, and that the mechanisms of God are through the unbecoming of the self. That's how, that's mm -hmm. how we enter into this resurrection life. So it's a friend of mine would say like, as, as, as followers of Jesus, we have this eschatology of hope. It's like, we know how the story ends and that story is colliding with us. But, but I think the trick for the follower of Jesus is we've been so conditioned to think that that resurrection life is coming through the front door. And then Jesus brings it through the back door and we didn't expect it in that way you know would that resonate yeah. with some of what you're saying totally man i mean a lot of the sermons i've preached in the last couple of years have simply been this you will suffer you must suffer you will suffer in your life things that you never wanted to you never desired to 
And that is not a surprise in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an invitation. Um, the, the book of James says this, consider it all joy, my friends, when you suffer trials of any kind, because in your perseverance, you know, your suffering produces perseverance, which is what you need to finish the race. In other words, we take joy because we're suffering. And I think that I think that we have lost the art of preaching suffering well. We should never welcome suffering. We should never celebrate it. We should never love it or pretend like it's something that God gets any satisfaction out of or wants for people or causes. I don't believe any of that. And yet, in the mystery, we worship a God who was crucified, rejected, displaced, and slandered by the very people he loved. And so I, I do think that I love what you're saying. We think resurrection's coming through the front door. I, I think that's a perfect illustration. We think we can claim resurrection without walking through the crucifixion. Um, but that's not the gospel of Christ. None of the apostles lived that. The early church didn't live that. And no Christian faith in history has ever lived that. So I think, I think that's freeing for me to be able to say, oh, my gosh, this isn't unusual. God is not abandoning me. The trick for us is not to, I think, I think the way we make it through whole in these seasons of our life is to be honest with God and not to, not to treat him like he can't see what's in our heart. Just last week, I opened my journal and I said this, God, I'm furious. I am so angry. I'm so disappointed. You dot, 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 dot. You've told me and you cut me off and I'm still sick and I don't know what you're doing and why you put this desire in my heart when my body is so broken. And I, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to tell God that he's not keeping his end of the bargain. Most of the time it's because by the end of it, I realize I'm just being a little brat. But I think that that is the, if we are to make it through suffering, if we're to make it through to resurrection, we have to be honest. We have to be like the psalmist that say, this is what's going on. I'm not going to diminish my suffering because I know resurrections around the corner. I'm going to let God have it, let him hear it, and then I'm going to let him heal it. And that's how we're going to grow. Um, but that's the gospel. The gospel isn't that we avoid suffering. The gospel was Jesus saying, in this world, you will have troubles of many kinds, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Mm. And I think reclaiming that, if we'd reclaimed that sometime earlier, I think COVID would have probably not swiped the church so left as it has. Um, we spent this entire time trying to relieve suffering rather than embracing it and letting it transform us. And I think that mm. we've lost that art and individually, but collectively too, you know. Mm. That's so good. In some ways, that's a that's just a really um, defined proclamation of the victory of Jesus, our ability to embrace it. You know, because sometimes it's like we think that we don't we wouldn't say this in so many words, but the way we treat suffering by wrapping it up in bubble wrap, it's almost like it's like we think that this is the one place God can't be and bring healing in that space. Even if I just think so much of Job, I think you raised Job, you know, and he goes through all this. And then there's this beautiful line at the end. He says, I'd always heard of you, but now I've seen you. And there's not a tight theological answer, but there's a revelation that Jesus, God meets him in it. You know, And I think sometimes the way we can suffer with Jesus or keep watch with him in the garden or you know, all of these things, it's almost um, there's a defined victory that we declare. Because I think you're right. We don't want to romanticize suffering or minimize suffering these things are hard and they're marks of a fallen world but at the same yeah. time there's a kind of defiance when we were able to stand in the midst of that and say even here 
even here the light mm. can find me you know yeah man oh isn't that inspiring i mean hearing you say that inspires me you know it, it to me it's it's saying throw throw at me what you want pain is is not an issue for me and my jesus my god is only more beautiful to me my victory only more pronounced my glory only more radiant because of my suffering i don't want it but but i it, it only makes me stronger it only make, i mean how do you kill that that's the kingdom of heaven that's overcoming death jesus being victor over death and stealing the, the gates the keys to the gates of hades is me weeping my eyes out last year saying oh, i hate this i am so sick i want to i just feel like i'm not even living and yet i know all of this pressure is building in me the kingdom of heaven of love you cannot tear me down and a man who comes through death in christ is, is a woman is just that i mean that is so beautiful that is so Christian. It is so shocking and offensive and upsetting, you know. And, and if, if we believed that, we wouldn't be out there fighting for power and government. We wouldn't be out there mm. fighting for power in the law and in culture. And we, the culture wars would be a misnomer because we'd be too busy saying, you can, you can challenge us, you can marginalize, marginalize us. You can create destructive legal systems. You know, we'll fight those things. You know, we'll always fight injustice. But none of that scares us. We are not threatened by any of it because all of that only produces more of the glory of God in us. And, And that is what has terrified empires forever. They try and kill us. They try and push us down. But all they do is create more beauty in the world. And Christ flourishes and blossoms. I think if we've lost that in the West, but if we had, imagine how different our, the politics that, that shape our world right now would look. You know, some time ago, I felt God say to me in my own prayer time that, um, that in this season of the world, it's not the triumphant church, you know, the ones that, that try and overcome the winner that will succeed. It'll be the suffering church and that the suffering church will rise up. And, and I don't think it, that language for me, triumphant suffering can be misleading. I don't mean that the church isn't triumphant, but I mean the, tri- the spirit of triumphantalism we've had has, is becoming a barrier to us. But it's the suffering church bubbling up in the midst of a COVID world, in the midst of a world of suffering, um, that I think is the beautiful church. And you can't quite see her. She's pretty dispersed at the moment. But I think in time, this suffering church is going to rise up to be the glory of the West. Um, and I don't mean persecution, although it may be persecution. We don't actually need people have been saying, oh, it would be great to have persecution in the church and you know, really galvanize us. I'm like, don't we suffer enough? Maybe if we just acknowledged and felt the suffering we experience, that suffering wow. church would rise to the surface too. And I believe that's what we're seeing in the world today. It's taking time, but this transition from a, a triumphant church to a suffering church is, is in place. And I think it's going to rattle the world. I think it's going to be a beautiful thing. But at the moment, it's us individuals willing to say, yes, Jesus, I'll take up my cross. Um, I will engulf the suffering and return it as praise uh, until your kingdom come. Mm. Engulf the suffering and return it as praise. That's a great place to finish. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Strawn, this has been such an incredible conversation. Thank you. No, oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate your heart and your spirit and, and for having me on the show. So yeah, it's an yeah. honor. 
Uh, before we go, uh, could you refer people to any resources they could find? I know you've got prayer volume one and two. Where could they find those things? Any stuff from Communist Communion, all of that? Sure. Um, yeah, I have a couple of prayer books that I've written of prayers through these years. I guess they're an exploration of this kind of spirituality in life and they're written as devotionals for people to really springboards for you and God, really. That's all I see them as, little page to just inspire you to go off on your own. Uh, you can get those from our website, communistcommunion.com, commoners, communion, not communist communion, as I often get from people. <laughs> we don't want, not um, that one, not that one. <laughs> not that one. Uh, I do, and I've got a podcast, um, which I'm, you know, I've, I've had a mu- muscular dysphonia now for a year, so I haven't been able to, you know, it's very painful for me to talk, so I haven't been able to do the podcast in a while, but there's devotionals there. And find them on Instagram, and, and I write prayers there too, so... Um, yeah, if, you, if, you, if, if any of this resonates with you, I'm sure you'll find that bled out into all of my work wherever you, and my music wherever you find it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And I hope this isn't the last time we have you. Me too, man. Me too. Appreciate you, bro. And for you guys listening in, uh, thanks for uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, we will have another episode of um, Into the Deep coming at you next week. So make sure that you're there to listen. Thanks, guys. Bye. God can only meet us and bless us where we are, not where we're not. Mm. And so I think in my own pain and my own pool of tears, and as I'm speaking here, I'm thinking of the listener next to her or his own pool of tears. That's going to be the meeting place. So I, I don't have to pretend it's not there. I don't have to pretend or cheer up if I'm feeling broken. I can, I can, I can feel all the feelings that I've got. I can have all the thoughts that I've got. I don't have to think or feel anything else. And I think the invitation is then to open that up to the to the Lord who is wanting to meet me just where I am.